0: These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before.
1: The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> oh dear. I was never, ever a Star Trek fan. Do you know that, Matt? I've never seen a full episode or a full film. Really? Yeah. And do you know why? It's ridiculous. It's because when I was a kid, my mate Sam told me that you can only ever like Star Wars or Star Trek. Not both. <laughs> and that carried on so long that I just. Just kept it with And it's, me. it's one of those sort of dogmas that you never questioned until it was too late. Yeah, well, I always thought it was really silly because whenever I saw clips of, um, you know, the Klingons or whatever, I just thought this is just, it's not, I just thought it's not cool. Star Wars is cool. Star Wars is cool.
0: I, I would I would honestly say early Star Trek, William Shatner Star Trek is brilliant. Really? Well, maybe I'll have to go back. It's genuinely again. brilliant. And then the first Star Wars film is a bit, lame but Wrath of Khan is an amazing film it's really brilliant as is number four is really good did you mean the first Star
1: Trek film is a bit lame sorry
0: you said Star Wars so I get the two I'm gonna have to pull you up yeah you you are sorry yes the first Star Trek (laughs) film
1: you were just testing if I'm listening which I am Matt so Matt how are you are you okay I'm good what's 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 going on in your galaxy what's
0: going on in my galaxy is that I I thought it would be funny to do that Star Trek quote because there's quite a lot going on in it It says everything about how society's changed. You might Mm. notice the sort of Trekkie amongst our listeners. And I would imagine there's quite a few because obviously being into space and stuff is very much a kind of Trekkie thing. Where are Trekkies at? Get this. You know, the the person that played Scotty got uh, uh, an honorary doctorate because loads of people said that they went into engineering because of Scotty from Star Trek. So they they gave him an honorary doctorate. Um, So... Just for an example. But, yeah, so it used to say where no man has gone before, where, of course, uh, they changed it to no one has gone before. Very PC. It's one of those things. I know a lot of people moan about this one, but it's not that big a deal, is it, to just be a bit more inclusive? It's not kind of upset To be a bit more inclusive, you know? Everyone just calm down uh, and don't chill out. <laughs> just chillax. Um, so yeah, this is this is like the next generation version read out by Patrick Stewart, of course. who was a who's a friend of our uh, old guest Brian Blessed. The Interplanetary Podcast putting the ace back into space. Absolutely, and of course, my favourite thing is the fact that they split the infinitive. So the infinitive of a verb, Jamie, I'm sure you know, is. Uh, the verb to go, that is the infinitive yes. of that. Uh, so I go, you go, but the verb is to go, and that's the infinitive of that verb. To split it is to put a word in the middle of that of that uh, infinitive. So to boldly go, you've you've split the infinitive, and for some people that's a grammatical error, but for me, now now what do you reckon? Do you reckon out of these three sentences? That they mean different things. Okay, so you've got go on then to go boldly, boldly to go, and to boldly go. They they all mean subtly different things, don't they? That's true. So I think that's very true. So I think yeah. it's totally valid to split the infinitive, but Douglas Adams in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, made a joke about uh, bold adventurers who dared to boldly split infinitives that no man had split before. <laughs> and Lawrence M. Krauss had uh, described it as one of the uh, top ten worst errors uh, in the uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek universe. As he went through all the different errors of science in the hmm. in
1: Star Trek, and he put that in the top ten, which I think is a bit well. Childish. I like, I like, I like that. But I tell you what, Matt, you can tell you're a teacher. Mm. Why? Definitely tell you're a teacher. Ah, oh, just the way you. I mean, it, it, I'm complimenting. Oh, okay, you. thanks, thanks. It's great. I felt like I felt like your student there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Franklin, you're late. We're all we're all that kind of. We're thing. all students in life, aren't we? Really, we're all students. Isn't that the definition of intelligent, Matt? Intelligence that 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 uh, you just realise how much you don't know. Yeah, well... That's me every day, so therefore, I mean, I'm very intelligent. We
0: should all try and be teachers. Uh, That's why
1: Richard Feynman's my my absolute hero. That's it. There we go. Uh, There we go. So, 50 years ago on Saturday, mm -hmm. August the 4th... Is it another Apollo thing? 1969, Mariner 7. Ooh. First photograph of Phobos... From space,
0: there was a lot going on, wasn't there in the in the late '60s in space? Really was. What a time that yeah, was.
1: That must be. Oh, quite I'd love cool. to have been hanging around in the late '60s.
0: Yeah, it, it was only another couple of years until I was born, Jamie. Oh my
1: God, you're so old. I
0: know, isn't that? Gutting. Oh, Space <laughs> News, Space News, Jamie. Good one, Go good on. one. Uh, uh, Chris Lamore, our friend. Ah, yes. From Orbex. Uh, I hope he's listening to this episode. Hi, Chris. Um, Hi, Chris. The Scottish Spaceport has got the go-ahead from locals, which, of course, is huge that the locals have Absolutely not excellent. objected to yeah. it. So, yes, the Space Hub Sutherland gets the go-ahead from Melnus Crofters Estate and the Highland and Islands Enterprise for a 75-year lease on the land. And Chris Lamore described this as a very welcome, positive step forward. Orbex's interactions with the local community in Tongue, Talmine, and Wellness Melnus have been overwhelmingly positive and we're pleased that this strong long-term agreement is now in place the launch capability will be a first in continental europe
1: enlarging the uk's share of the global space economy i think it's excellent news well done everyone Uh, i mean that's just so exciting isn't it and they thought it might happen but they weren't being too cocky and now it's happened it's happened So, so that's one more step there we go and god God knows at the moment we need some positive news about our economy. God damn. Well, don't worry about it, Jamie.
0: All the time the pound's really low. It it makes investment easier for foreign countries, isn't it? There there we go. Don't worry about it too much, Jamie. No one knows. It's all a storm in a teacup is what I'm I'm saying. Yeah. Everyone, all of our British listeners, which is about a third of you – Just calm down, everyone. This is what I'm saying. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. It'll be fine. It's
1: all going to be fine. Uh, It's all right for billionaires like you, Matt. What about the four people (laughs) like us? Yeah, you're the 1%. Uh, (laughs) If only, Jamie, if only. If there's a no deal, you'll just be sitting there still with your silver spoon Uh, in your your China teacup. If I was a billionaire,
0: Jamie, I would have set up a, a, a space society.
1: That's true, or, or pumped yeah, loads, have...
0: Or pumped loads of money into the British Interplanetary Society and changed its uh, name to the Matt, Matt Russell's British Interplanetary Society. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. I take uh, it all back. Uh, yeah. um, so what's going on with Ariane 6? Ariane 6, uh, the mobile gantry that I saw last year, has made yeah. its first move. It's been rolling around to test it. and And just oh. so you realise how ridiculous that is, it's... 90 meters high as a metallic structure, mm. and it weighs the same as the Eiffel Tower. So it's like having the Eiffel Tower on the on rollers, basically. Um, so it is a big old thing, and yes, that sort of rolls out to the launch pad, and then when it rolls back, it rolls back without the rocket that was inside, and uh, off you go. Uh, that so that is
1: heavy. So that is yeah,
0: heavy. So it's done a 97-metre rollout test, which is very, very exciting. So Ariane okay, 6, well, well on the way to seeing a launch soon, hopefully next year. And then KEOPS, the characterising exoplanet satellite, at the same yes. time has passed all its uh, testing, presumably at STEC and various places like that, and that's now being packaged up. Uh, to be sent out to French Guiana, a crew to be launched from the spaceport.
1: Ooh la la, your oh, second home.
0: My second home, yeah, I like to call it my second home. Yeah, It's uh, in the sa- at the same time, and what when I was in my second home, of course, I saw them fueling up BepiColombo. Columbo. They were fueling it up with um, uh, just your your standard propellant, um, yeah, hydrazine or something for for the for the thrusters. Your um, standard kalligas. Yeah, you, definitely not your kalligas, not your not your oh. uh, Orbex Uh But okay. uh, no, the um, the Mars twenty twenty rover is having its plutonium isotope. Put into its RTG, the MMRTGs. I must get mine fixed. If you remember back to the movie The Martian, it's the thing that he digs up from the sand and has has with him in the in the keeps keeping him warm in the rover. Remember that,
1: Matt Damon. Matt Damon. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that
0: bit in that film. That's that's so fun. Simply genius. Really good. Really big news this week, though, was Collins Aerospace. Mm. No, nothing to do with Michael Collins, by the way. There's quite a few Collins Aerospaces that are that are based in Britain as well. I noticed they're dotted around. Oh yeah, Britain. Yeah, a lot of it's military hardware sort of stuff. But we've talked about them and ILC Dover quite a few times when we went through our spacesuits special. We did. They have un- they've basically set, but unveiled that the fact that they were working on the next generation of spacesuit together, and so in some ways this this kind of means that we're closer to going to the moon than everyone thought because it was like uh, that was one of the big kind of blocks was oh god we haven't even got any spacesuits for for 2024, but it turns mm-hmm. out that these two companies have been working on it. And, uh well, some, that's a good thing yeah it is I mean sort of talk about talk about lucky so they revealed that at some big event on Capitol Hill last week uh and yeah so that, that it, it's it's they've 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 been curing a few problems with the old spacesuits because they built the old spacesuits by the way but both these companies were involved in the current um
1: the when are car- they sending me mine um I think I, I do with think my, uh, with my Cannibal corpse patch on the back. I think that is that is coming soon. It's coming, it's coming. is it? It's in yeah, the post.
0: It's in the post. Yeah. Okay. But you do need to I'll put your waiting. two and a half million pound down payment on it. You 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 did remember? Yeah, I'm that, good for it. it. Okay, I'm good for it. Okay, so you're just putting it on a tab? <laughs> stick it on my tab. Just stick it on my tab. Yeah, they'll be fine with that. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah. got it's got uh, it's got carbon dioxide removal technology, a breakthrough technology they reckon. So. Uh, so that significantly reduces crew maintenance time. It's much better than the I'll old one. I'll tell
1: you. One. I'll tell you what else it's got, Matt. Improved mobility joints mm. and a ambulatory. I think ambulatory from the Latin ambulatus to to walk. It's got improved (laughs) mobility joints and an ambulatory Mm. lower torso Mm -hmm. that will allow astronauts to traverse hazardous terrain, perform complex tasks, and closely examine, handle, and collect geological samples from the surface. This is important because, as we know in the past, Matt, so many astronauts have said how just how difficult and how tiring it can be performing the simplest tasks. So this is good news. This, this, I think, is the really big one, actually. An upper
0: torso structural component with advanced sizing features to enable a large anthropometric range of astronauts. Now, what that really means is spacesuits are no longer sexist. I guess. Got it. So the upper torso can be resized quickly without tools. So, in in other words, we are in that same situation. Remember a, a, um, a few weeks ago when they cancelled that spacewalk uh, featuring Anne McLean and Christina Cook? Yes, I remember. Uh, and, and that that really all came down to the fact that spacesuits really back in the in the seventies. Were sexist, really? You, you couldn't really yeah. get around it, but 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 that you know they were designed at a time when most astronauts were male. Uh, exactly. And what's what's incredible about that? You think, God, well, surely they've built better ones since? Well, no. The the spacesuits that they're using at the moment were designed in 1974, flown first in 1981. They built 18 of them, and and 11 of those original 18 are still the ones
1: being used. That's just insane to me.
0: Yeah, so so you know, I mean, yeah. So those spacesuits, they just just keep using the same ones over and over and over and over again, with a bit of servicing every now and then. Mm. Every six years they get serviced, or every twenty five EVAs. So it's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing. So yeah, these are the first new spacesuits for a very long time. Well, it's about time people recognised boobs. Is well, what I'm saying. Well, and and just smaller physiques and smaller frames, maybe. But it's it's um, for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, just th- in th- case I'm an astronaut. This this won't disadvantage people like you, Jamie. The, Could the, I still wear my small Cuban people, heels in a, in
1: a astronaut suit? <laughs> snake
0: hip, snake
1: hip hobbits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't disadvantage. <laughs> am oh, I going to? Dear. Am I right. being too nasty now? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, this is definitely bullying. It is, isn't it? Uh, sorry, Jamie. Yeah, that's everyone, okay. Don't everyone, um, everyone listening, don't bully your work colleagues,
1: please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, especially not on a Friday. <laughs> no, no, um, no. So I tell you what else they've got, Matt. Significantly mm. more efficient motors and electronics that reduce size and weight and enable incorporation of additional avionics mm. and data capabilities into the suit. Which is all good news, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and of course things like HD video recording and communications and head-up displays, all those sort of things, I think, are all in there as well. So, mm. But what's, it is very, very impressive. These two companies are very impressive, full of very hard-working, forward-thinking people. And I, I have to say it's deeply impressive what they've done. That's we should, we should be applauding both those companies for just cracking on and solving problems. I think it's fantastic. Astronomers Jamie have discovered a three-planet solar system relatively close to Earth. Ooh. So it's it's another anna- it's, it's another one that orbits a M dwarf host, in other words a, a red a red dwarf star yeah. 73 light-years from Earth. So pretty goddamn close, isn't it? That really is close. Yeah, it contains a super-Earth planet, 1.2 times the size of the Earth. And a couple of sub-Neptune-sized planets, that's two, two and a half roughly, well, 2.4 and 2.3 times the radius of the Earth, these other two planets. Uh, but they are super, super close to their parent star. So the orbit of the super-Earth only takes three and a half days. <laughs> <laughs> and the others, oh. five days and one,
1: 11, uh, 11 days. So do we think they're quite hot places then?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, well, remember, it is the, it's a it's a red dwarf star, so it's pretty cool. But yes, that is probably too hot for life, really. But it's a gift, this uh, particular solar system, because it allows the detection of transiting timing variations. So they'll be able to get the exact mass and measurement and dynamic studies of those particular planets as they go around so they'll be able to really really hone in on quite a lot of detail on them they'll be able to actually look at the atmospheres of some of these planets because it's near enough via transmission spectroscopy uh, and they'll be looking out for planets further out that might be in the habitable zone uh and, there we go. The, and and the and and because the star is now quite quiet it's quite a calm star it could be really good news so it's it's a really really interesting new solar system that found, that they found and that that was a paper that was in nature this week
1: isn't isn't Calm Star your um alt folk duo
0: yeah Calm Star would be great Actually, it's quite funny. At work, they've come up with a, a name for my band called the Matt Russell Intensity, and, and the, the the third album was going to be called "I Know How You Should Be Living Your Life." Ah, <laughs> uh, I really like it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and that the follow-up that is brilliant. Yeah, the follow-up album to that was "Summer Live, Autumn Love." <laughs> what? <do> you- <laughs> <laughs> which has been making me chuckle all week, actually. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good, is That's it? good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't match that. No, you can't match that. So um, really big news about uh, solar sailing, Jamie, Massive this week. Massive news. Yes. Yes. We didn't really mention it, did we, last week? But, yeah, the, the, no. sol- that, uh, uh, the Planetary Society's solar sail actually unfurled last week, and we could have mentioned it, but, you know... Big whoop, but this is pretty impressive. The next bit, so yeah, the Planetary Society announced that they were going to uh, do something major this well, week. Well, it's
1: raised its it's it's raised its apogee.
0: Yeah, it's raised its orbit by two James. kilometers. Yeah, that is that is unbelievable by light alone, by the momentum of photons alone. I just love it. It's its orbit has been raised by two kilometers. That's actually incredible, isn't it? So it's the first ever demonstration. Of light sails actually being used to
1: for for orbital mechanics. Well, maybe this kind of light sail is going to ping its way across to check out other solar systems in our galaxy. Just saying.
0: Well, yeah, I think you could only if if you wanted to do that in a human lifespan, you'd have to. It would have to be assisted by lasers. See, that's the thing. Yeah, So,
1: so exactly, I've got them. If you've got the lasers, you've got one of those little... I've got the lasers. you got one of those laser I got pointers. I've got flux capacitors. I mean, I think... What more do you need?
0: But I think it, it is really good for sort of zipping around the solar system and looking at things. You can get to pretty good speeds just from the light alone. And, of course, we we, we there's variations on just solar sailing. There was the one that we had Robert Zubrin on the show talking about, his his version of it. Um we tubes. yeah, we did. So there's quite a lot of different ways of doing this but this is the first time it's really been demonstrated so well done um all the people that have crowdsourced it by the way you know this isn't like you know this has been this has been paid for by people like you and me and people like our listeners just you just general people out there who are space enthusiasts so that's
1: absolutely what you amazing, want to hear what i do you want to hear what old Brucey e. Betts has had to say? Yeah, yeah, go. Go. Light Sail Program Manager and Planetary Society Chief Scientist uh, says We're thrilled to announce mission success for Light Sail 2. Our criteria was to demonstrate controlled star sailing in a CubeSat by changing the spacecraft's orbit using only the light pressure of the sun, something that's never been done before. I'm enormously proud of this team. It's been a long road and we did it.
0: It's so super cool. If you think about everything everything about this mission screams cool because it's crowdfunded. It's Carl Sagan was one of the people that pushed it in the first place when he went on a daytime TV show with it with a little model of it. And then it went up on a Falcon heavy. Yeah, we Harriet came on the Interplanetary podcast and talked about it. We went she and did. saw a mock-up of it down at the Science Museum. It's just so many cool things, so
1: many Dick, cool isn't things. It? And now we're here, big. We're
0: seeing it yeah, evolve well, in real life, and it's and it's and it's working. And and the footage on board the CubeSat is really cool as well as it as the, the way that, it, that you can actually watch the video of it unfurling the the sails is absolutely great. Yeah, it's really really cool. Super cool. So Jamie, the month of August is Space Habitat Month. Ooh! I thought this would be a good, good, good one to just introduce the concepts of space habitats. Yes. And uh, I know a lot of a lot of uh, people out there are aware of the system five W one H. Do you know what that is? Who isn't? <laughs> which is sometimes called the six Ws, which is who, what, where, when, why, how. I'm assuming they're, exactly. ca- they're counting the W in how as the sixth W, This is why I call it 5W1H.
1: It's like a boy band, but it's just me. Or five women, one, hun- one hunk, and that I'm the ah. hunk. <laughs> that is your kind of band, to be fair. <laughs> That's really good.
0: Good evening, Ilfracoom. We're five women, one hunk. This song is Space Habitats. Wasn't that the name of that charity single when you joined the Spice Girls? <laughs> it was. We raised a lot of money. So, yes, over the, over the, next, over the next few weeks, what we're going to try and do is delve into some of these who, what, where, when, why and how uh, questions about space yeah. habitats, space settlements, space living stuff. And it, it's Totes. it's it's such a massive and brilliantly interesting subject, Jamie. So let's first of all start with a breakdown of what what is a space habitat or settlement. What do, what do we actually mean by that? What's a, a really basic definition? What 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 would you say was a a basic
1: definition? Of- well, it's got to be permanent human habitation, not on our Earth. That's a yeah. So that's it really that's is that that's right? what we're
0: going to be talking about if yeah lots of humans able to live somewhere else that's not earth but permanently as well it can't be like the the international yeah, space not station just a week. is not a space habitat i mean cuz the funny no. thing is we don't really have a proper space habitat at, at the poles at the antarctic do we so it's exactly. like you know it's still fully dependent on on the rest of Earth to keep it going. They couldn't they couldn't do Completely, it on their yeah. own. Um yep. so what about where, Jamie? Can you think of like different places where they could where these space habitats could be? Uh where, Matthew? Mm. We're talking
1: near Earth space. Mm-hmm. We're talking the moon. hmm Talking your favourites, Lagrange points mm-hmm. and other micro G orbits. Mm-hmm. We're talking the inner planets, which, as you know, is Mercury, Venus and Mars. Mm-hmm. We're talking the asteroid belt. We're also talking the moons of outer planets. Some of my favourites are oh, Europa, uh, Callisto and Ganymede and Saturn's Titan, Enceladus and others. Mm. Uh, we're also talking the trans-Neptunian region and... A bis favourite interstellar and intergalactic travel. Yeah, space habitats where you're actually travelling. Mm. You know
0: these world ships and generation ships and stuff like that. Obviously, we we had we talked yeah. about generation ships and world ships before, but yeah, to, to have them as part of like thinking them, thinking about them as space settlements is really, 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 really interesting. I've been lo- reading loads of bis journals on that. Uh, it's it's super interesting. They're they're really into that. So yeah, so totally it's is. it's not just living on a, on the surface of another planet. It could be yeah, living in space stations. And and in fact, if anything, more work has been done on space habitats that aren't on other planets. So that's... so let me ask you this, Matt. Mm. Who are we talking about? Well, so in terms of obviously who is it's the it's the human race that needs to be going up and, and doing this, and I suppose it would be workers and stuff like that. But who's actually looking into this at the moment? Well, the British Interplanetary Society are looking into it. In fact, that will be one of the last guests that we have on because it turns out not only are we running um, – uh, space Habitat Month. It turns out that they're doing a Space Habitat special as well. So they're compiling all their space settlement stuff together. And it's Jerry has been doing that. put shout totally. out to poor Jerry, who's 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 had a uh, like a really bad accident. So it's it, he's Aww. yeah. So he's in he's in a pretty poor way, old poor old bean. So shout out to Jerry. Get, get well, get, Jerry. Get better soon. But uh, yes, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm going to meet up with him uh, later this month and uh, and go through all the things that he's been digging up uh recently with what the British Interplanetary Society have come up with which includes stuff by Alan Bond as well so that should be super exciting there's also the well, national nice. the national space society um we had Rod Parlon who's very as- associated with that he um th- they've been working on their the american equivalent i suppose of the BIS and they they've been they they have a huge section on their website dedicated to space settlements. Of course, we've got uh, old Robert Zubrin, Bobby Z at the Mars Society. Bobby Z? Uh, yep. Yeah, who's very much into the kind of on planet stuff, you, you, your Mars settlements. Uh, yes. There's Asgardia as well, um, which, of course, is a, a newish kind of thing, uh, a, a newish setup. And they're trying to change the laws of settlements. So they're trying to be the first space nation, which, of course, is going to be quite important when it comes to these settlements, whether they have laws that are based on the country of origin or they have their own laws and and own societies. It is fascinating, isn't it? Uh, The Space Studies Institute, of course, which was set up by O'Neill, who's recently been made a little bit more famous again, thanks to Bezos's... um, Blue Moon speech, and That's right. and of course Bezos and Musk really they're both interested in it, but they're much more interested in building the railroad rather than the town itself. So they mm. they yeah they're kind of more like your railroad people trying to get the infrastructure in place so that we can even have an attempt at building the space settlements. But their ultimate game, their ultimate sort of end of game is for these settlements. But they're they they know they have to build the infrastructure first. Mm, absolutely, and there's there's even a space settlement institute, which um oh. which is trying to get space colonization and settlement of outer space done quicker, uh, sooner rather than later. So there, there, there there's but there's quite it's quite a busy space this this uh, space settlement thing. So well, what why would we want to do space settlements, Jamie? What what the heck? Well, is the I'll part? tell you why. You remember our mate Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm aware of him. Hello, Jamie.
1: Sorry. Uh, oh, dear. He once, said, <laughs> he once said that we've got to leave the planet if we're to survive. So quite simply, the continuation of the human race, hmm. yeah, has got to have the greatest insurance policy of all time to survive and thrive. Um, I mean, Matt, we are about halfway through the sun's life, aren't we? Mm-hmm. So the sun's expansion. Yeah. Asteroid strike could come first.
0: Yeah. What and, do you think uh, about
1: that? Well, I mean, asteroid
0: strike. Yeah, if there was a major collision today, that would, that would be the end of billions of people. But it might be very, very hard to recover from that as well. So it might be that billions mm. of people get killed in the first bit and then, unfortunately... It were we would die slow, would die off slowly because we just weren't prepared or didn't have the resources to be able to actually sustain
1: human life at all. But what's amazing about could, could evolution start again after that? Well, I mean, it's lots of interesting questions.
0: Well, I mean, evolution has. I mean, we've had f- five of those absolutely catastrophic events. Like one of them, you know, one of the sort of big ones knocked out ninety six percent of life on Earth which was something like and the dinosaurs yeah so 78% of species lost but yeah you know evolution recovers like the the kind of ecosystems recover over millions and billions of years that's not a problem but humans almost certainly get wiped out by that kind of stuff but what's incredible about a space settlement is it's a kind of double whammy so say if earth did get hit then the surviving humans would have much more of a chance if they had help from you know, a a Mars settlement or a, or you know huge um, near Earth settlements that were able to sort of uh, supply resources and actually help out fellow humans. So it, you were much more likely to survive on Earth as well as in these settlements if those settlements exist. So that's a really interesting. Well, let me ask you thing. this, Matt: mm.
1: If all humans were wiped out, mm-hmm. could humans evolve again? It's extremely. I mean, surely, potentially, yes. Well, I think it's
0: extremely unlikely. It's like you need the exact conditions for humans to evolve, and there's lots of other, you know, there was lots of other different sort of sapien types, and Hmm. it's just you know really, really uh, niche kind of elements that mean that that comes. I mean, yeah, something will. I mean, really, the better question to ask is, would intelligent life Uh, re-evolve whether it's human or not it's kind of irrelevant but yeah with intelligent life you just don't know the great filter might be that intelligent life is extremely unlikely Mm. um you know conscious life might be extremely unlikely and don't get me started on consciousness consciousness doesn't seem to have any kind of purpose but anyway what's that book what's that book you read matt uh, well, I, I well I'm re- I'm reading "Conscious" by Sam
1: Harris's wife. It's by Sam Harris's wife, yeah, it's very good, really good, in fact. What's her name? We shouldn't say Sam Harris's wife. No, uh, sorry about that. Uh, Annika Harris. Annika Harris. There we go. Check it out. Yeah,
0: Annika Harris's "Conscious." And conscious. is very good. Another thing about building space habitats is that you could you could find asteroids that were going to hit the Earth, and actually intercept them, tear them apart, and use them to build a space habitat. Double whammy. Again, mm. cool is that? Very cool. How and when, really, I think is what we're going to be spending most of our time on. It's the tricky bit. It really is. It is the tricky bit. And, and the quick answer is it's really hard and not anytime soon. Mm. So I did a quick and and this is going. I'm probably going to get shouted at by a lot of people for doing this, but I did a. Oh, it's fine. Go for it. Matt. Very, When's that stopped us? <laughs> exactly. When I did a really really quick bit of uh, back of the envelope maths, and I was thinking, how much would a Manhattan city block weigh? Right. So I, I quickly looked it up, and mm. someone had done the maths on Reddit. So God knows how how good it is. Um but it was roughly 462,000 tonnes a city block, right? right. Uh, and at the moment, SpaceX, it costs $1.5 million per tonne into orbit. That's just to get the stuff up. That's not how much the stuff costs to make or anything like that. It's just literally the cost of launch per tonne, $1.5 million. Now, of course, that would come down if, mm. if we're launching that amount. But that's pretty cheap, uh, $1.5 million per tonne. So that means right. that it would cost $660 billion just to launch a Manhattan-sized city block up into space. Now, actually, mm. I was quite surprised. That's that's actually a lower number than I was expecting. <laughs> but it's still a lot, isn't it? $660 billion. What do you think? It is a lot, but, but it- I don't think that they're going to be making it out of bricks and mortar. No. No, but there's other things to consider, isn't there? That you'd have to, you'd have a lot of weight in there. You know, it, the, remember this city block. Not only has it got to sustain life, it's got and keep everyone warm. It's got to be airtight. It's got to be radiation proof. It's got to be micrometeorite yeah. proof. It's got to have. Uh, self-sustaining things in there, like or, you know, the the water needs to be recycled. So there's even Vape though pens, yeah, even though you're saving weight on bricks and mortar and cement and all that kind of stuff, I can't help feeling that the weight's going to go back up when you have to add all these other things in. So I, I, was, Very I was, this is totally back of the envelope stuff, but I think it's it's at least an indication of how expensive just the launch of this thing would be. Mm. Um so over the next over the I guess the next few weeks we'll talk about the materials that you can use for outer space settlements the various types the energy source and this came up last week wasn't it that the, the energy source I think is really important at the moment we've got uh, yeah we've got nuclear and solar really are the two options but we'll, we'll dig we'll dig into that a little bit more you've got life we'll su- dig into it life support systems radiation protection you've got things
1: like self-replication and and additive and 3d printing. and here's one for you, Matt. How can you live in a small settlement? Can you be happy? You know no one's done it before. yeah, and that's connected to population size,
0: money, currency. so yeah, locations and economics as well. I mean that, that it, it's it's big, isn't it? So Jamie, kick us off, kick us off with something that you've that you've read recently.
1: Well, I've been looking into the uh, you know small settlement thing. And I read a paper about how small of a free space settlement can people be happy living in, question mark. Um, So they did a survey um, of 1,075 people to get their views on the desirability of living in a small space settlement in orbit close to Earth. Um, And 6% said they'd be happy living on a cruise ship type of size with 500 other people and donate 75% of their wealth to permanently living there in orbit. So it's not a huge percentage. But then if you think about, if you ask that to the globe, we're talking pretty big numbers there. Mm. But what would the minimum size settlement be? It was once believed that a minimum size was determined by the rotation rate needed to achieve 1g of pseudo gravity at the hull. The highest rate believed acceptable was 2 RPM, as anything higher than that would make people feel a bit queasy. Uh, But studies have shown that people can adapt pretty quickly. Matt, could you imagine if you couldn't adapt and you'd sold everything to go and live on this ship yeah, that would be pretty dark, wouldn't it? Yeah, that actually that's really weird because I did hear about a study
0: that's really was quite recent where it was yeah trying out these various, you know, rotating um ideas and yeah, yes. if you if you if you step it up, you can slowly step it up so people don't feel sick with this kind of when you turn your head it kind of pushes you to one side because of the Coriolis effect and all those kind of things um yeah but if you slowly adjust to it apparently yeah you do adjust to it so and it's obviously much better I mean there's so many things to be ironed out there in terms of Uh, how just how it's going to yeah how is it how is it going to affect your physiology what's the lowest g that you can have where you don't get osteoporosis and all those kind of you know, bone, mm. bone and muscle loss. You know, because what you want to do is aim for the lowest one possible, so that you have to come up with the smallest amount of engineering to, to sort of overcome it. But yeah, that's exactly that. It's, well, it's, it's really interesting. So it's very of, interesting lot, stats. A lot of
1: interesting research on that at the moment. Yeah, really is. Well, at least thirty percent of all respondents said they agree agree with at least one of the below. Uh One, they would like to live permanently in a space settlement. Two. A settlement is no greater than the size of a large cruise ship. That's enough. That's fine. Three, no more than 500 people is enough. And four, they would be willing to devote at least 75% of their wealth. So that's at least 30% said that they would agree with uh, at least one of those. I mean, it seems like the idea of actually living in space is the main motivation for people to go. Because I think a lot of the people that they asked were actually kind of into space, space enthusiasts, which isn't really fair. Um, but would it change over time? Hard to get away from your neighbours, Matt, if they're noisy, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but it but it kind of is anyway. It is on Earth, isn't it? It's like I bought a house. Oh, tell me about you it. You buy a house, and if your next door neighbour's noisy, that you know you're stuck in the you're in a similar sort of situation. It's, it's not easy. It's not quite as bad, admittedly, and you can you know you can stretch your legs quite a little bit more. Uh, it's. It, yeah but i i think that this is quite a positive study i think in the end their their conclusion kind of pretty much agrees with that like that 6% who are willing for all of those things is enough isn't it if you that 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 means that you can do yeah. a, an early spa- a space settlement and their kind of uh, their back of the envelope thing was that you would have a one of these like Uh, i don't know uh, a a space settlement like a massive cruise ship style thing rotating out in space that was a hundred meters across and uh would only have a mass 20 times that of the international space station and Mm. it would be 500 kilometers away so twice the uh, so twice the height of the orbit of the um, international space station but yeah 20 times heavier but that kind of means that at least we know that that's feasible to build, right? So we know that that, that it's feasible to build. And if you did build it, um, people might actually go to it, that there probably is there enough people that would do, you know, donate their entire wealth and go live on it, that you could just about Sounds fill like
1: it. Sounds like an old baseball film with a ghost in it. Yeah. If we build it, they'll come. Well, Matt, we're back to the old mental health questions. Do you think you could do it? Um, just, you'd give it a shot I know you you're very positive it'd be quite good wouldn't it I mean I
0: think it would I think the the interplanetary podcast numbers would go up if if one or both of us oh, lived li- lived on a space settlement wouldn't it definitely I think yeah. so it'd be worth it just for that Jamie you know that that my entire life is devoted to that and you know I bet the Wi-Fi up there would be amazing as well I don't care about the kids don't mind if I
1: don't see them again as long as the pla- as long yeah. as the pod is doing well Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, listen, Matt. Um, it's been lovely chatting to you. Have you got anything else for me? Well, I was just—I—I I, I didn't have time to write this up this week. I've been
0: pretty busy, as you know. So, uh, but but I've got August off, yes. like I said. So, th- I'm going to devote a lot of time to this um, uh, to this old thing. So, we should get some pretty cool episodes. So, I'm looking into the numerical cons- numerical constraints on the size of generation ships. And they've been yeah. using things like the Monte Carlo method to um, work out, you know, how many people you can actually feed on these things, and how many people will die, and what what how many people you need to actually be on the ship. So that's really that's really an exciting one to look at. I think that might be one of the later ones. The uh, these kind of generation ships that head out into the into the void. Um,
1: Into the void. But I also
0: saw yes. a, a really interesting one this week about using aerogel, you know, that sort of really, really oh, yeah. light stuff. But it turns out yeah. that you can use that as a kind of solid-state greenhouse. So if you cover oh. if you cover the Martian surface with a layer of aerogel, It would actually warm up the surface enough where the uh, where you'd get liquid water. So you could have uh, like these kind of little mini greenhouses by just sticking aerogel on the ground. So that was well. That's all we need. Then yes. How much do we need? Not that much. Two to three centimeter thick layer. And, and that would, yeah, that, and it would allow visible light through for photosynthesis, but also block ultraviolet radiation and raise the temperature. So it did seem like that this was like almost miraculous use of aerogel. Um, uh, so, yeah, that was in a paper by R. Wordsworth. And again in nature, again in nature, and that's yeah enabling Martian habitability with silica aerogel. So that's quite a that's quite a cool breakthrough in itself. So I'm looking out for those sort of things. So if any of our listeners see that kind of thing, then let us know. And please let us know. And talking about listener responses, I I cannot believe how brilliant the listener response has been to our shout out for places to uh, crash when we do our America road trip. I know, trip.
1: can you believe it? And we've
0: pretty much we've got every city sofas. covered. It's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> this is genius. So, yeah. Thank you so much, peeps. We're going to take you up on it for sure. We are going to take you up on it. So even if even if you thought we were joking and you were joking, we're not. <laughs> yeah, we're not joking. Please <laughs> give us your sofa. be
1: absolutely amazing. Come hang with us. I, I can't. I actually. We want you to be in the poddy. Imagine how
0: cool that would be, you know? hanging out with, with space podcast listeners. In America, it's
1: just going to be absolutely brilliant. getting them involved, yeah, get having some beers, having some beers with our space brothers and sisters. Oh, that's... I think we've got to make it happen. I can see our road trip happening next year. Yeah. What, Matt? Yes. I've got to go, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but I would like to say farewell to everyone mm-hmm. and to you. Okay. I want to wish everyone a happy weekend and um, stay safe.
0: Thank you all our patrons, at every single one of you. We absolutely love you. Thank you to all our listeners. We, love you. we absolutely love you. And yeah. any more information that you want, pop over to interplanetary.org.uk or putting the ace back into dot space. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, Spodcats. Have a lovely day. See you.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: bye. bye. bye.